0: Uh, Welcome to Urban Grace. This is great to see so many out today. My name is Trev Rysavvy, the pastor here at Urban Grace. Uh, I'm super pumped about what Jesus is doing. A couple things that I want to say as we get going here. Um, uh, Just just kind of a word of note for those of you who don't know exactly what's been going on with Urban Grace. But this past uh, Wednesday, we sent out now our fourth city group. Now, that makes no sense to you if you're brand new to Urban Grace, so I'll explain this a bit. City groups are the way we do small. We really do two things here at Urban Grace we do what we call big, and we do what we call small. The big is what you're seeing right here. This is where we gather together as God's people, uh, servants of Jesus, on mission together in a unified way. Together, we corporately gather because honestly, music wouldn't be nearly as good if we all did it kind of in our houses, right? How awkward is that? So, we do it here at the theater, uh, and and we hear God's word together. Um, We take communion together. We take the Lord's Supper together. That's our family meal. Uh, This is often the place where brand new people to maybe the gospel or for sure our church get introduced to what's going on here at Urban Grace. And so, it's a really important part of what we do. But we would say that if this is really the only experience you have of Urban Grace, you are not quite seeing the whole picture. We would almost say you're, you're seeing almost less than half of what's going on because what happens in our city groups is really the heartbeat of what I believe Jesus has been calling us to. And that's because Jesus doesn't just save our souls, but he puts us on mission. And he does that by collecting us together in communities. And we feel this is the best way in which we grow deep. This is where we really build the best friendships that we have. Within the churches is where we really learn how to serve and bless the city. This is really where the nuts and bolts of how the gospel works itself out in our lives really gets down to business. I mean, honestly, it, especially if you had some church experience before, usually you, you can be pretty spiritual at church. You can, you know, you can walk up to the front and take, you can clap, you know, you can sway, you can you know, do this or this or however you sing. You can do all that stuff. But really, if you, if you have to go each week and, and sit with a group of people and talk about what Jesus is doing in your life, something changes in, what, in, in how you live that out, And you begin to wrestle differently than you do if you try to pack your mission or try to pack in what you're learning about Jesus into an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, depending on how excited I am on the Sunday morning. It it doesn't work that way. So we do these big and small, and we've just sent out our fourth city group. Now, what's really cool about this is that this time last year, we were barely one city group. So we are growing in many ways um, uh, exponentially there. Uh, We're really excited about what God's doing there, and I would recommend to you if you haven't got a connect card there's some at the back there uh, that you can pop in one of the plates those little block they're actually salad bowls painted black to camouflage that they're salad bowls from ikea but they are offering plates um, so just check off i would like to to know more about a city group and what that means and, and check that box off and, and hopefully next week by this time we'll roll out our electronic way of doing this some of you don't own pens and pencils and paper So we're going to... But you do owe your phone. I know that because some of you actually follow me during the service on Twitter. I actually get those emails. It's awesome. It's like 11.45. I'm like, yeah, that person is... That's that's what they were doing on their phone or Facebook or whatever. But next week, we're going to roll out a little program called Visitor.com with two R's, I believe. Is that right, Pete? Visitor.com. And uh, we'll kind of post this up on our website. And you can actually... Fill out an electronic connect card while you're in the service on your phone. Isn't that cool? You're welcome. Um, that's coming next week. Um, and we're, So that's another way to kind of connect with what we're doing. I could talk all day. And if you're new, that's a warning for you. If you're not new, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but today is, is really, I think, it's really important to what we're doing on this mission. Um, I asked Jesus, can you bring lots of our people here today? Can you bring new people here today to introduce them to what we think Jesus has called us to? Uh, So I'm excited again about this particular passage. It's been very helpful to me personally. And so part of this is autobiographical. But honestly, I felt like even in my preparation, because I, I feel like I talk about it so much or think about it so much, there's a lot of holes that might be missing in what I'm saying. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in power and to to give me the words that I need to say to you today. If you just bow with me. Jesus, we thank you that we can even be here. We thank you that um, for centuries uh, you have been putting a plan into place that allows us to come and sing at the top of our lungs in a theater in downtown Calgary. For your glory, and uh, it's overwhelming at times when I see the work that you're doing in people's lives. Because this isn't just a this isn't just a crowd to me; these are real people that I see growing, and I'm so grateful, Jesus, for what you're doing. And now I want to be helpful to them today. Um, I, I, I've been praying, Jesus. Don't please help me not to say anything stupid today. But help me to say things that are really helpful to people, That really help people's hearts understand what you're calling them to. Not just me, but them. So I pray, Jesus, that you would open up people's hearts this morning that want to hear what you have to say to them. Please help us to be humble and repentant people that are willing to change if you tug at our hearts. Please help us to be confident people and bold people as a result of what you have given us to do. And Jesus, please don't do this for Urban Grace's glory, for my glory, for this theater's glory, for anyone's glory but yourself. So if any of these things don't bring glory, don't do them. But if they do, Jesus, do them, please, so that you can be glorified, you can be magnified, the people in this city can know that Jesus Christ reigns supreme. pray these things in your name. Amen. (laughs) Oh, I'm already crying. Pre Victorian era, that was really manly. Now it's not considered manly. So, I learned that this weekend at a historical conference. So, by the way, this gives me more license to cry. And I'll feel just fine about it. Uh, this is a series about really um, a lot of things. It, in every way, is a uh, we want to unpack the story of Nehemiah, and there's a lot of great things in the book of Nehemiah that I think are particularly helpful to churches just getting off the ground, or churches that really want to be part of, of, of impacting their city. And you see even by our decorations, uh, what we do think though is that if we don't have the gospel, we won't bring our city anything that it really needs. Uh, There's lots of people in our city that are doing lots of great things, and we applaud that. We actually want you to join some of those places. But what's interesting is that we really have a strong conviction here that if we don't bring the gospel to our city, if we don't bring the good news that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross for your sins, in your place, so that you could be saved eternally and put on mission immediately that we're not bringing anything that's really helpful to our city. We should just stop what we're doing and just join up all the other organizations that are already doing a great job. But we believe that news is so important that we got to put that at the forefront and we've got to keep that everywhere. Because honestly, just like in the story of Nehemiah, we feel that our city is broken, not because it's, it's, it's a terrible city to live in. Actually, it's a great city to live in. Many of you are here because... This is a this is an uh, economically prosperous city. I mean, how many people here moved here because of work they found here? Just a show of hands, like put them high. It's like that's about half, right? So you didn't grow up here necessarily, but you moved here because this is a good city to find work in. You found good paying jobs here. This is a good city to to put on your resume, so to speak. Some of you maybe are here because you grew up here, but you won't leave because you also found a good job here. Some of you are like, hey, it's close to the mountains. Some of you are like, I can't wait to get out. Okay, hold on. Hopefully in an hour's time you won't be saying that. But honestly, this is a great city. but, But as you look around, just like Nehemiah's city that he knew about in Jerusalem was broken. I think our city is broken in a lot of places. That maybe aren't real super evident to you on face value, because some of you have experienced the dark places of this city. Maybe you've you're recovering from drug addiction, or maybe you worked in a pub or a bar for a long season. Talked with a guy yesterday who said this city has some really dark places, and the uh, person across the table said, "Well, what you know? Tell me about it." He said, "Well, from the inside, as a..." As a a bartender in this city, he said, that is a dark place in the city. That is a place where it seems like drug addiction, um, sexual promiscuity, and just total, complete moral lapse is pretty normal. I mean, so there's broken places in our city and some of you grew up maybe in a church maybe you stay away from it because your, your parents told you to or whatever but honestly there's some really broken places in the city and we've got to see these with our own eyes that's what our text is about this morning our text is really about studying the city there's a, a few things that we'll have to conquer I think in our own lives to really study the city well without getting sucked into all the good things about the city because right? there's that too right? There's the fact that when you, when you study the city, it can look so good, so enticing. It's like those ancient Greek sirens, right? That, that had the beautiful voices on the island. Anyone know what I'm talking about at all? Like, okay, you know that? The, the beautiful voices. and the, the sailors had to tie themselves to the mast because the voice was so beautiful, but they knew it was their death if they left the boat. Because that's what the sirens were trying to do. They were trying to suck them into some sort of a death. And that's how cities can act. They're so big, they're so wonderful, there's so much fun to do, there's so much money, there's no parents. And you can invest yourself in whatever you want to do, and so you have to be careful as you study the city that you'll get sucked into being part of the brokenness of the city. And this is what happens in Nehemiah very, very quickly. The story of Nehemiah is he's living in a capital city in Persia, a really great city, a lot like ours. Lots going for it. Persia was really at the top of the world at the time. Persia, the capital city, was a great place to live And He was the cupbearer of the king, so he had a really high position in that particular culture, meaning he tasted the wine for the king to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. I mean, you have to trust that kind of person, right? That's, a, that's an executive assistant to the top partner in a lawyer firm type of position. and You can't sugarcoat over that. He had a great job in a great city, had everything going for him, and he heard some news that he probably knew about, but for some strange reason, God had decided that after 141 years to press home this news to Nehemiah and, and remind him, Nehemiah is not a Persian person. He's actually a Jew. And so really his homeland is in the, the capital city of Israel, which is Jerusalem. And Israel had been bashed really to complete ruins by Babylon and, and, and later it was the Persians who bashed Babylon, so then the Persians left left all the Jews to kinda of go back to their homeland if they wanted to to rebuild. But it's difficult there there's opposition and, you know, it's, they were starting over from scratch. So there's all kinds of things, all kinds of reasons why nothing had been happening in Jerusalem. And for 141 years, this had been so. And then Nehemiah feels the, the brokenness of God's heart for his own capital city. Because Jerusalem was not just the capital city. It was the place where the temple was. And the temple represents the actual, physical, tangible presence of God in the world. That's what the temple was all about. That's what God decided to do. He said, I'm going to show my people how holy and awesome I am, and I'm going to do it through this building in this city. And so this broken city represents God's presence not really being tangible for his people. And this hit Nehemiah in a way that had never hit him before. And it broke him, and he wept. Those are manly, manly tears, by the way. This is not him crying over not making it an American Idol. Not those kind of tears. These are real tears. And he lets us see that in chapter 1. As soon as I hear these words, he mourns for days, he fasts for days. He gives up food for weeks on end so that he can talk to God about what he's got to do. And he talks to him for about three or four months, and that's when we enter our text. So three or four months have gone by. He's working for the king. He's got some decisions to make about his life and the future of his life, and that's where we'll start. And and throughout this passage, what I saw in chapter 2 was really this idea of, of the courage that's required to do these sort of things. And so I think studying our city, being on mission for Jesus, particularly in the urban core, is going to take some courage. It's going to take lots of courage. It's going to take faith to believe that Jesus can actually do this. And so we're going to talk a lot about courage today. Very simply, we're going to talk about the courage Nehemiah has to face the situation. We're going to talk about the courage to walk away from a situation. We're going to talk about the courage to see, and ask for things, Because that's what's going to be required if we want to complete the mission that Jesus has for us here at Urban Grace to impact our city and to love our city and to seek the welfare of our city so that everyone may know, as many as possible, may come to know Jesus or at the very least hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let's start with the courage to face the situation. The first thing I see in the text is that Nehemiah has the courage to look at the situation straight in the eye and not look away and face it. That's what it says in the text. He, 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 he's In the month of Nisan, not the truck, but actually the, the, the uh, festival. So that's what Nisan is there. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I've not in sad his presence. What's interesting about that month is it's like kind of New Year's Day. I mean, no one's really grumpy on New Year's Day. You're hungover on New Year's Day, but you're not grumpy on New Year's Day. Right? That's a good day. Everyone has it off. Most people anyways. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of renewal. It's a time where you're like, hey, you know, so <laughs> far I've worked out one every day of the year so far. Uh, I've gone to the gym every day. I've I've woken up early every day. I've shown up, you know, and so far everything is good. And that's why when Nehemiah comes into the presence of the king, he's like, hold on a second here. You haven't been drinking wine yet. You're really sad. You're not sick. This is not like Nehemiah comes and hands the the king uh, his wine, coughing and and feeling like, oh, I feel like a train wreck. I've got to go home. He's like, you're not sick. You're not drunk. What the heck is going on with you? I mean, I can see this from the king's point. You can't really have a depressed wine taster on your staff, can you? That doesn't make sense. Why do you marry? Not sad. What's, what's going on, Nehemiah? What's happening? And here's Nehemiah. And, and right away, and this is where some of us wouldn't do this. We'd be like, oh, nothing, nothing's wrong. Seriously. Seriously, king, not your business. Not your deal. This is where Nehemiah looks straight in the eye of the situation and (coughs) goes, "Can't face this." King asked me a question. Now, don't forget that in these situations, to kind of say to the king, "Like, oh, I'm having a really bad day," is not like saying to your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, kids, "I'm having a bad day." It's like saying to the CEO of the company that your day is a train wreck and. You don't say that to, your, to the boss of the company, right? You te- you you put on a good face for the boss, because the boss can fire you. Yeah, in those days, the king can kill you. So you don't you don't just like flippantly go, "Oh, I'm just having a rotten day." This Nehemiah going, "Oh no, is it that obvious? I mean, this is really wretched. This news of the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem hasn't just..." caused him some anxiety it's really wrecked this guy to the point where he cannot hide it in his face I'm kind of like that emotions are on my sleeve kind of person, if you know me well at all, you'll know that about me I rarely hide my emotions, and if I do it's not for long this is Nehemiah and he says okay this is my translation. Oh, okay, king, it's not something that you did. Um, with all due respect, uh, it's just that my heart is broken for the, the city of my family history, and it's in Shambles. And it breaks my heart. And then he's strategically tries to tug at, at the, the king's heart and goes, you'd probably be sad, too, if, if the graves of your fathers lie in ruins. You know, see, the Persians... Like at the burial site is a very holy place. The cemetery, that's really, really important to to Persians. So he's kind of like, you'd get this, king, because you know as a Persian king how important this would be for people to be walking all over the graves of your ancestors. I mean, we don't even do that today, right? Wasn't there something just on the news? Some extra dirt was piled on a grave. And it made the news because it felt so disrespectful. And this is Nehemiah going like, hey king, this is pretty, you know, think about this, just get in my shoes, which is very bold, by the way, for someone to say who's not in charge. And Nehemiah says, king, take a look at this. Look at my situation. But to do that, Nehemiah had to face his own situation. And let me just bring in your life and my life into this. I think you and I need courage. Some of us need it really badly right now. And we need not just courage, but we need the courage to face our own situation. Some of us are terrified to make decisions. Some of us are afraid to be bold. Whatever decision that is, some of you are thinking of buying property. Some of you are thinking of, like, should I finish school? Some of you are thinking, should I ask that person on a date? Whatever it is, some of, most of you, if not all of you, are at some point of life. That's why there's like I'm looking around. at lots of like young adults. By young, I mean in the 20s, in between 20 and 30. So you're making a lot of decisions. Who should I marry? What should I invest in? Should I stay in this city? Should I get a better job? Should I stay at my job? Should I tell my boss to take a hike? Should I not tell my boss to take a hike? Should I break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Should I ask them to marry me? What? There's lots of big questions going on in your time of life. And some of you make decisions like this. You don't make decisions until someone else makes them for you so that you don't have to have courage or faith. You ever made a decision like that? Someone says, well, what do you think about this? You're like, I don't know yet. And then the decision is made for you. Which really prevents you from having to have courage or faith to step forward. I've made lots of decisions like that. And they were some of my bigger regrets in life. And here's here's the issue with that. Is God never really develops any courage in you when you make decisions like that. When you don't face your own situation. So I'm challenging some of you. As we go through the series, there's some big challenges here. I want you to face your own situation. I want you, when I talk, I want you to look at your own situation. I don't really know a lot of situations here, so I'm speaking very generally. Some of you have got to really look carefully at where you are in your life, what you want to do, where you want to go, what's really important to you. And you've got to start thinking of of what's commonly called reverse engineering. You've got, you got to think, like, where do I want to be in 15, 20 years? Now, by God's grace, you'll get there, and maybe some of you won't. In fact, I'm sure not all of you will, just statistically. But I think what I'm challenging you to do is look at your situation. Where do I want to be? What do I feel like Jesus is calling me to? What's Jesus asking me to do? What's Jesus prompting me through His Spirit to face? And I want you to face it. I want you to face it. This is the power of Nehemiah's story. He's such a good example for us. He he is so broken and he's so humble and yet he's so courageous at the same time to just take a serious look and say, what's really going on here? Some of you need to be courageous to believe in the gospel. You're like, well, wait a second. I don't don't believe in the gospel. I don't believe Jesus exists. I don't believe Jesus came to die for my sins. I'm not totally there yet. You're waiting for all the evidence in all of the world to just make perfect sense before you ever make a decision. Friends, that's not the way it works in the Christian life. Because once you are a Christian, you'll still have to have faith. And so you just kind of take, just like you know we sometimes do with, your, uh, with real life decisions. You've done that with your faith and you've just removed any faith. Or you remove as much faith as you can from the equation. And you blame God. It's like, I believe in you, God, but you really haven't given me enough evidence yet. And at the end of the day, you know what Jesus says? Believe. That's it. Want to be my follower? Repent and believe. Believe that I am the Son of God. He doesn't go, believe that I exist. He says, believe that I'm the Son of God. Take me at my word. Trust in me. Step out. Face that situation. And I honestly believe that some of us are not Christians because we're cowards. Not because we don't have enough evidence. Because the world says, you need all the evidence. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You just need me. And so this works at all kinds of levels, friends. It works as, as a church for us, too. And when we're encouraged to face our situation, we want to reach the city where, you know, people are coming to our church. And these is going well, or city groups are going well, and, and so typically what happens with churches, even our size this is the average age of a or average size of a church in, in Canada, by the way. Already. We could we could take this. Okay. Well thanks for helping us, Jesus. Now we're
1: good. And we need to face our
0: situation, but is that what Jesus has called us to? Or is Jesus still going to continue to stretch us and move us forward? He like says, it's at all levels. And Nehemiah challenges us to have uh, How do you have courage? How do you have courage? Well, I don't think courage actually comes from you. Courage is really the action part of faith. So faith comes and you hope in Jesus Christ, and then he says, okay, step. I mean, you can have faith. For instance, I repelled once early in life, and this never left my mind because it was so terrifying for me. But who's repelled before? It's like, it's pretty awkward backing down a 150-foot cliff, right? It's awkward. And I, I, I seriously remember going like, you know, uh, the the belayer would say like, okay, on belay. <laughs> I was like, not on your life. Um... <laughs> And, and he's like, the rope will hold you. I was like, I know the rope will hold you. And he's like, okay, but then act, act on that. I actually believed that the rope would hold me, but I had to test the rope. I could not, have, you know, you don't believe people like that when they say that. Do you believe that rope will hold you? Totally. Absolutely. Then do it. No. What would you say? You would say, I'm not sure you believe yet and courage is the action part of faith. It's somebody's little <laughs> lip balm or whatever it is. It's up here, by the way. Darren Patrick said, it, it takes great courage to look the brutal facts right in the face and deal with reality in a God-honoring manner. I love that. Because I think we talk talked a lot about faith and we don't talk enough about courage because faith is kind of like, faith is up here, courage is, is, is in here. I'm challenging some of you, ask for faith and step out in courage. And to be on mission for Jesus is always going to require that. You're never going to escape that. No matter how hard you try. You're going to have to believe in something. You're going to have to hope in something. You're going to have to have courage to do something. Even if you don't believe in Jesus. My recommendation is, why to not give Jesus a truck? I can't think of anyone better to trust. I can't think of anyone better to be courageous for. Second thing I see in, in this text is that D.M.I. has the courage to walk away. This is real scary. We don't talk a lot about this stuff. Because we, we've just talked about the courage kind of to, to walk. And so often it's, it's easier to, to walk to something. And really, when it comes to walking away, that's something that most of us have a difficult time. Anyone ever been in a relationship that you knew full well you had to walk away from? now how hard that was to do and you just felt like, you felt like your clothes were just stuck. I can't get away. I can't walk away from this. Because It's difficult. I think it's more difficult to walk away from something than it is to walk to something. But this is what's neat about Nehemiah. I mean, check this out. So he, he says to the king, oh, the king's like, uh, okay, I hear you. Yeah, the, Jerusalem's in shambles. Um, so, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, so I prayed to the the God of heaven. I wrote in my notes, my translation is, what did he pray? You want to hear my somewhat crass? This is what I thought. He prayed, Dear God, please help me not poop my pants. Amen. (laughs) That's what came to my mind. Like, he's terrified. And he's serious. Like, he's like, Oh boy, I could die. I could die for this. <coughs> if I say the wrong thing, I could die. He could kill me. So he says, "Oh, the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it." And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. There's even this added pressure of like queen kind of going. Whoa. King Persia, sure what are you going to do now? So was like, dear God, help me. Oh boy. Uh, well, first of all, King, I need a clean player of underwear. Plus, I need some wood. This is the kind of, you know, he, I'm doing this to help you get into the text. Like, this is not a simple prayer request for Nehemiah. This is not something, simply, he just was like, oh, well, I've been thinking, King, you know, shucks. He could help us out with a couple bucks. He's like, I could lose my life. Secondly, think about the job he has. If he's in that position, he's been in that position for a long, long time. He's very, very, very trusted. Trust does not happen overnight, right? You don't level jump in the company. You bit by bit by bit by bit earn your trust, and you move up the ladder. That's generally how it works, right? And those who skip all those things usually either one fall or like, are, are everyone in the company envies them or they've had some previous experience. So this is not like a flippant job Nehemiah is like, oh well I'll get another job. He's like, I'll lose everything. It's a great job, King. It's a great job. This is what he says again in my words. King, I love what I'm doing. I really couldn't ask for a better job in the world. But if you really think I'm a good guy and I've done a good job, would you be willing to let me walk away from this great job with all due respect and do what I think I need to do? Here's what the king says. Okay. Let me know what your plan is. Give me a timeline. Me and my is this tablet, this keynote presentation. Okay. I need to leave here. I need to send a bunch of emails to the surrounding countries. See if they'll help fund with some building materials. Some wood, because Jerusalem doesn't have any wood. And we need to rebuild these gates. I know that. I've already heard that. So obviously Nehemiah has not just prayed that one time. He's been praying. But then in the moment, what does he need? He's like, I need courage to leave this thing. I know what God's been doing in my heart, and I'm just waiting for the right time, and I believe that God is the God of heaven, the God of the universe. I don't believe the Persian God is the God in charge. I believe the God that I serve, and of my ancestors is the God who runs the world and runs the universe. But he takes that step and says, King, let me go. That's what I really need to ask of you here. And as I thought about this, I thought so much of what prevents us from being on mission for God is we do not, we refuse to be courageous about walking away from things that are good things. Notice, we're not talking about Nehemiah walking away from a pub, the pub life. He's not walking away from a horrible situation. He's walking away from a good situation. A situation that, like, if you were Nehemiah's friend, what would you say to him? Whoa, Nehemiah. Dude, you could totally use this job later on. Why don't you shut and see if you can get someone else to do He's like, I can't. Because my heart is the one that's broken, not their heart. Because God asked me to do this. God asked me to be on mission this way. For some strange reason, God thinks I can lead the charge in rebuilding Jerusalem. What's amazing about this, <coughs> excuse me, is if you read Ezra chapter 11, this is this gives you a little bit of background as to how terrifying this could actually be. So this is the previous attempt when someone did this. What Nehemiah is asking, Ezra chapter 4, verse verse. Um, It starts in kind of 7, but really in 11, this is the copy of the letter that was sent, asking the very thing that Nehemiah said. So Nehemiah knows this, he has a copy of this, he's been CC'd on this letter. This is the copy of the letter they sent, chapter 4, verse 11. To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting, and now be it known to the king that the Jews who have came up from you have gone... Uh, from you to us have gone to Jerusalem they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city they're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations do those terrible people now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished they will not pay tribute custom or toll and the royal revenue will be impaired we lose our tax help from these people if this happens now because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor therefore we send and inform the king in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your father you will find in the books of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city hurtful to kings and provinces and that excuse me, sedition was stirred up in it from old and that is why this city was laid to waste we make it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the, the river. You'll lose your land, king. You'll lose your people. You'll lose your tax income from these people. And they're constantly rejecting you and your gods. So what happens? The king sends an order, stop the work. Sixty years earlier, stop it. 40 years earlier, stop. That's why I didn't go forward. Nehemiah still walks away, and he says, "God's called me this. God, do this." Just going to ask a simple question that has enormous proportions. What do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you need to walk away from? to be part of even the mission here at Early Grace. I mean, we want to move forward. We want to plant lots of churches in this city. We want more people. There's lots of awesome people that have joined our mission. We need lots more. We need people that don't yet know Jesus to be on mission with us. We need people who love Jesus to be on mission for Him. We need money. We need resources. We need all kinds of things. But in order to do this, we're going to have to have some people walk away from good stuff. Not bad stuff. Not asking people to walk away from sinful lives. I'll always ask you to do that. I'll always ask you to walk away from worshipping idols to worshipping Jesus. You can guarantee that's part of Urban Grace. What is negotiable is what are you being called to walk away from in order to join the mission. This is partially autobiographical. I had to walk away from probably the best pastoral opportunity I had. I was comfortable. I was being paid well. Cheap rent. I mean, do you guys even know what that is? (laughs) Low cost of living. Close to home. Low pressure pastoral job where the expectation wasn't super high. No pressure. I never felt any pressure to, to... Go faster. The only pressure was like, slow down a bit. You're killing us here. And when I did walk away, it was not received very welcomely. And I understand that. I knew that. It was the one thing that held me back. I was like, I can't walk away from this. I'll be hated. And it wasn't easy. And I'm sure there's still some people, why would you walk away from this? There was only one reason. Jesus asked me to walk away. Come to the city of Calgary. Call people to repentance. Ask them to believe in Jesus. Go to the most strategic place you can find in the city. Ask people for money. Ask people for time. Ask people for resources. Ask me for favor. That's the only reason I did it. I didn't do it because it was easy. One of the toughest, maybe the toughest thing I've ever done. Here's what Daniel Wunder says about decisions and walking away. Again, I am not. I don't know what you need to walk away from so you can't corner me after the service and go, thanks a lot. I just got a great job and now I have to walk away from it. You can't do that. Because I don't know. I don't know what your lives are like. I can't do that. That's why I pray for the Holy Spirit to do it. I can't convict you of that. But the Holy Spirit can. And in terms of making decisions, here's what Dan Elmander says. To decide requires a death. I love that. This is true. A death to something. A death to a dream. A dying to a thousand options. The putting aside of a legion of possibilities in order to just choose one. Listen to what he says. Decide. Hama side. Suicide. He said the root is side. The root side means to cut off. All decisions cut off. All of them. They separate us from the early infinite options as we select just one single path. And every decision we make earns us the favor of some and earns us the disfavor of others. And some of you, that's how we make our decisions, based upon our favor of what people will think of us. Whether or not people will like us, these people will. And I guarantee you, you can't make a decision that doesn't turn off somebody and make someone else happy. That's just how it goes. And so again, I'm, I am asking you to do these, think about these things, but I'm also encouraging you: don't ask for this unless you're ready for this, because there's going to be a death involved in some of those decisions. You're going to have to die to some things. Whatever it may be. You know, my hope, honestly, is that it's, it's, it's not jobs. That, that many of you stay in the jobs. when you face the situation. God, I wanted to leave and God said stay. Because God needs missionaries in this part of the city. So this doesn't always mean that. But it might mean walking away from what you thought was your great future. So that you can obey God and stay where you are now. That's also an application that's going on here.
1: But you're going to need courage
0: to do that. And so you need to ask for faith if you don't. You need to ask for faith and you need to start walking in that direction. Thirdly, I see that Nehemiah, and that's all of the rest of chapter 2, the courage to see and ask. And this is where studying the city becomes, because if you... Part, part of this is some of you are still at the stage where you don't really see this great need for lots of churches that preach the gospel in our city you're like oh man'm so glad that I finally found a church and all the rest, all the suckers in the church in the rest of the city you know sucks to be down and you don't really feel this is broken heart. you don't really feel like man we the gospel is just not there's just not enough gospel application. There's not enough people that love Jesus. There's not enough churches. There's not enough families. There's not enough good husbands and, and great wives. There's not enough family. You don't feel that in your heart yet. Because you don't see it, that's why. I mean, that's a couple things. Sorry. I should make a qualification there. Some of you have not really felt this in your heart, but I think some of the reason is because You have not had the courage to look carefully and to ask boldly. That's that's the next part of the text. So Nehemiah, you know, says the king says to Nehemiah, okay, what do you need? Nehemiah has got a plan. He had written this down. I'm almost sure of it. He had journaled through this. He wasn't like, oh, shoot, uh, king, I thought you were going to say no. Um, Probably need a laptop, Wi-Fi, No, he's like, okay, king, I'm going to ask some big things of some other people, too. I need some lumber. Got to rebuild these gates. I know that for sure. He's not even there yet. But then Nehemiah travels, and he actually takes a rest for three days, which some of you would be like, is he tired? I don't think he is. If you start a new job, do you spend the first three days sitting at your desk thinking about what you're going to do? Most of you, if you get a new job, are so excited, you just want to hit the ground running, not Nehemiah. What's he doing in those three days? He is praying. He might be repeating that paraphrased prayer that I was talking about earlier. Dear God, give me lots of pair of clean underwear. Because I'm gonna need it. This is ridiculously difficult. And I have no idea how it's gonna get done. And then he begins to walk around. He goes with a couple of guys. He doesn't tell anybody about it because he's not doing it for, you know, if, if I was Nehemiah, I'd be like, hey, come into town. Totally doing this research project. Love for you to join me. Hint, hint. Aren't I awesome? A researcher. That's you know, I'm, I'm an arrogant guy, so that's probably how I would do it. And Nehemiah doesn't do that. He of slips in. He says, I just got to see this for myself. I have heard this. My heart's been broken over this. And so he rides around. Um, on a donkey. And he inspects the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and the gates that have been destroyed by fire. He goes to one gate. Then commentators say, this is the most detailed exposition we have of the condition of Jerusalem at the time. He looked at this stuff carefully. He's like, I tried to go into that gate, but honestly, um, it, the, the rubble was so heavy that like, the donkey <laughs> went through and I fell off. Knocked me off. Um, the Dungate, which is actually a Dungate, a terrible name. Uh, maybe someone had the last name Dung, who knows. But uh, he, he goes there, he goes to the Valley Gate, inspects the wall, and then he says, Okay, God, those guys are going to oppose us again, and we need this. So they're like, What is this thing you're doing? And he's like, Oh, God. It's going to get done if you're behind it. He starts calling people. He starts talking about to them. And this is what you and I need to do. We need the courage to see for ourselves the brokenness of the city. We need to have the courage to ask boldly of people in our cities and our God of the city makes me cry every time because this is very, very autobiographical for me. Asking requires courage. Seeing requires courage. That's what happened for me. That's, again, how I came to this city. When I came to the city, people were literally saying, like, let Calgary take care of itself. There's lots of churches in Calgary. And you know what? There are some, some good churches here. There's some big churches here. I will not deny that. But I began to look at how a city looked, and I began to see the strategic importance of the urban core to the city. And I began to realize that this is the most densely populated area in all of the city. Calgary's not very dense, but the urban core is more dense than the rest of the city. What's more is, you actually are starting to see it densify right before your eyes. There's a condo building going up over here. There's a condo building going up over here. There's a condo building to be built behind that over here. There's a meeting this Wednesday night about what they should do with the space for the next condo building that's four years down the road. You go across the river. It's crazy. All you see is construction of con- People are moving here. The city is coming to us in some ways. And I looked at the kind of churches and the amount of churches and the age of churches in the area and the amount of people. And generally they say, if you have one church for every thousand people, you have kind of the gospel saturation in the city. There's about 110,000 people in the urban core right now and maybe 40 churches, most of which are dying. That means if everyone in our communities wanted to go to church, I'm pretty sure less than 5% could. It's got to break your heart, friends. It's got to break your heart. How can it not? How can you not think about it? Because we need to see it. We need to see it with our own eyes. We need to go out into the city like Nehemiah and look at the broken gates. Don't take my word for this. Don't say, well, Trump thinks our city is broken, so I'm on board. Say, I know, because I saw it too. Why don't you do this? Because you haven't had the courage to say, this is really important, and I need to do this. Our city groups, we're, we're challenging our city groups. There's going to be a list coming out uh, later today, I'm leaving it in the hands of city groups, but I don't want to restrict it to city groups. If you're brand new to Urban Grace and you're not yet in a city group, there's actually some help in our bulletin. For those of you who didn't get a bulletin, I'm really sorry about that. That's why we're going to start a blog this afternoon. You'll get that same information that's in the bulletin on the blog and the website. Just some ideas, some helps on how to study your city and look for yourself. And, and, and you know, if, if you're already doing this, this is great. I'm preaching to the choir here but you need to see it with your own eyes. And then you need to ask. And then you need to have the courage to ask. You need to have the courage to ask, first of all, your God. You believe God is big? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is on a mission to rule the world and bring all kinds of people from all tribes and all nations one day under a full umbrella in a big huge city to worship him do you believe that if you do you can ask pretty big things so what Nehemiah does he looks back at what God does in Exodus and God parts the sea he's like okay well I'm not even asking that I'm just asking for some help He looks back and sees that God delivers his word through Moses. And he's like, I'm not even, I'm not doing, I'm not asking God to like deliver like the word of God. I'm just asking so that like people don't get killed while they're rebuilding a wall. So maybe it seems like he's asking a lot of things, but he understands his God and he knows full well. God's capable of doing this if he really wants to do it. He needs the courage to see it and he needs the courage to ask. I love this quote from William Carey that that William Carey is known as one of these major missions guys who's really one of the big fathers of modern missions and William Carey wrote in his diary, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I love that. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And so I'm asking you to see. Four things that I do is is it, it's, it's last here. It should be go see, feel, do. For those of you who won't read the blog, this is for you. First of all, how do you see the city for yourself? You've got to go. You can't wait for the city to come to you. You've got to go to places where people are. Go to places that you don't normally go to. You know, the, the, One of the worst excuses is, well, I don't really want to see the city because I have no interest in the city. Wrong answer. You've got to go to places that you don't normally go to. Say, I don't like concerts. Then go to one. See what it's like for the rest of the city to enjoy concerts. I don't go to pubs. Go to one. You don't have to drink a beer anymore. It's not a requirement at the door. Go, see who's there. I don't go to movies. Go to one. See who's sitting, watching movies. Every single week. You know, one of the challenges I'm having for our city group is even come to this theater. That's a shout out for our our buddy Ken. You know, he'll be happy that I said that. But come to this theater. Some of you never come to a movie in this theater. You've only come here for church. Come here and see what other people do with this building throughout the week. But you got to go. Secondly, you got to see. You, you got to think like a seer. And, and, and we we sometimes do. We, when we watch TV, we're not really critical thinkers. Anyone not a critical thinker with television? Okay. If you don't know if you're a critical thinker about television, um, how many of you had the experience? Oh, it's been six hours, <laughs> and I have no idea. I'm all the way through lost and at the bottom. Because <laughs> you're not a critical thinker. And you need to see with different eyes. What what are other people doing with their time? Why wouldn't the worship of Jesus, why hasn't it been part of these people's lives? What's preventing them from being on mission for Jesus? What is it? You've got to watch for it. Thirdly, you got to feel it. If you're paying attention to what you see, when you go and see, you will start to feel something. I notice this with my little girls. Like, this comes as no surprise to you, but I don't like princesses. Is anyone surprised by that? But because I I go to my daughters and I see what's going on there, I can understand the princess world a little bit. <laughs> right? And and I, I feel something. So now when I'm walking through a Walmart or something, I see a princess. Something in me goes, I do of want to get that for my girls. Now, normally I don't do that. Why? Because when I go and I invest my time in my girls and when I see what they're doing and what they like, something happens to my heart. It starts to change. And I begin to feel things that I never felt before. And that's where some of us need to go. We need to feel something and then do something about it. Don't wait for Urban Grace to build a program around it. Like we need lots of people thinking creative things on all kinds of different ways to reach our city. One of the great things that I've seen rise up out of our city is we have some people that are, 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 maybe they're not passionate about the music industry, but it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know what? Some of our like, no-name bands yet in our city, they need a place to play. And we love music. We celebrate music here. So they started this little, this little like concert series called Home Cooked Music, designed to give opportunities and places for bands that were not worried about whether they love Jesus or not. They just are looking for a stage to play and an opportunity to play their music. And so we... This thing just started out of one of these ideas of wouldn't it be cool if make a phone call? How much does it cost to rent the theater? Pretty pricey. So we said, okay, Urban Grace, you guys want to do this? We raise the money within Urban Grace. We provide a venue for some bands in our city. Why are we doing this? Well, we don't fully know yet, but we do know we're here to bless the city. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. But that's an example of someone who went to the city, saw for themselves the need in the city and the way that they could bless it, felt something, was like, "Oh man, this, this music scene needs help." They did something about it. What, what, what's, what's your deal? And then lastly, as I close, the courage to ask, I want to tell you a story I'm probably going to need some clearness, because this will require us to ask some really bold things. I want you to look around. Do you enjoy being part of Urban Grace, most of you? Hopefully. Is this a place where you feel like this is family? a family? place where I can connect to Jesus, learn about Jesus, be challenged, call to repentance, celebrate with Jesus, be on mission for Jesus? I'm not sure you would have believed that two years ago. This didn't happen just by getting some magic church planting dust and going poof. <laughs> I did a lot of things wrong as your lead pastor, but one of the things that Jesus helped me with was he gave me courage to ask. We came here with nothing. I didn't come here with any money raised. No money raised. That's a, that's a disaster. I'd never do it again, by the way. Came here with no money. Came here with no building. Came here with no band. When we started out, I kid you not, we took communion to a little iPod on a speaker. I'm not kidding you. That's a real story. <laughs> Those of you who were there, I was like, yeah, the music was actually better. <laughs> we were in a... In, a, in the bottom level of my father-in-law's house, Jesus asked me to really come to this city and challenge men. And the first meetings were filled full of women. Which was awesome, great. I, you know, we never have problems gathering women because they're always the ones who get up off the couch and do something. Most of my challenge here is, is to our men. And... and and I just started to ask people, would you join the mission? Not to embarrass, I asked my friend Tom, Would you stay in the city? And lead our music? I know you don't have a lot of experience at this. I believe in you. I think you can do this. And then ask Jesus to do something in your heart. You know what's really cool? If you ask personally Tom his story, Jesus actually physically and spiritually changed his heart. I didn't. But I did ask that Jesus would do that in his graciousness. I asked people to donate lots of money. I asked somebody who had no formal theological training at all, who literally, probably, really got the gospel as pastor. I just asked him to lead, him and his wife, to lead our fourth city group. We started out with nothing, and I asked God, do something. Please, look at this place. We're talking about multiplying city groups now. We're asking Jesus. Jesus, we want to just double. We just want to double our city groups. That means eight this next year. Do you know what I'm going to have to ask? I'm going to have to ask eight leaders. We need eight men to do this if, we, if this happens. We're talking about the idea of going to a second service, not because we're splitting at the scenes, by the way, and not because we have all this extra money lying around, but because we really feel like in the evening there's, there's some different group of people in our city that need Jesus and would maybe show up to hear Jesus. You don't ask for those kind of things unless you feel like God wants you to do it. And believe me, it will not get done if God doesn't do it. There's just no way in the world. But do you know what that means for you? You might have to walk away from something. You might have to walk away from that extra cable package, channel because it's going to require some money from you. It's going to require some service. We need more bands. (coughs) We're going to do this. Because our one band basically goes every single Sunday. Amazingly. We're going to need you to really believe that this matters. We're going to need boldness and courage in your personal uh, explaining the gospel to people and saying, please come to my church and hear the gospel and be in my city group. I don't think I I don't think I could do this if God I had to seek out what God said here. I don't think I could honestly look you in the eye and say, you need to ask. If Jesus hadn't said, just ask me, Boy, I'm ready for it. I got grace you you haven't even spent yet that I can pour out. You haven't even seen a tenth of what I can do in this city. Just ask. And then ask me for courage and step out in faith. And so now I'm just going to call you to think about this. This is the, this is the opportunity we have every week. We call it the Lord's Table. It's, it's a gift given to us by Jesus Christ himself. He actually said, every time you gather in the big, I want you to just remember that you get everything, all of this. You get help, faith, salvation, mission. You get it through my death and my resurrection. I know it seems simplistic, but that's actually what Jesus said. It's not what Trent said. And so some of you you've got some things to think about. I know it. Because I've got some things to think about. And I just want to invite you, just come and just be reminded, before you think any of this depend that, that your spiritual fruitfulness depends upon what you do for this church or what you do for Jesus, I want you to come and participate and say, no, that is not true. Everything about your security now and eternally has been established by Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection. And you enjoy that. And you hear, this is, this is not a guilt trip. You don't have to do this to earn more of Jesus' favor. No matter how hard you serve, you will never earn more favor from Jesus. That's already been earned. He already gave it freely to you. And so our tradition is simply, if you, if that's true for you, if you believe Jesus, even if that's just today, if Jesus is your Savior, if you admit you are a sinner, if you admit Jesus is the only true way that I will ever receive guilt-free life, forgiveness of sin, then I want you to come and participate in, and partake of communion. And then I want you to sing and I want you to start process praying and asking Jesus, what do I need to see? What do I need to ask? What do I need to walk away from? What do I need to feel?